0: The concern I always have about stargazing is obviously you're out at night, completely dark. You can't see anything because that's mm-hmm. the, you know, it should be a moonless night and you're in a dark sky area. And I have no idea what's down by my feet. Oh. <laughs> so you know we look at the stars for like 30 seconds mm-hmm. and then i'm worried that uh you know a snake is going to crawl up my pants or uh, you know the the hair on the back of my legs is standing up because there's a scorpion on it or <laughs> something like that so i i don't know that's <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith.
1: And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today's episode is our monthly mailbag feature, where we answer questions we've received from listeners about topics related to our public lands, hiking trails, gear, and a wide variety of other travel-related subjects.
0: We'll be answering some interesting questions in this episode, like, should the four Colorado National Parks be visited in one trip? What kind of footwear do we suggest wearing when hiking through water? And where are the best places to stargaze in the Southwest?
1: I loved all these questions. We also talk about what happens after you spray a bear with bear spray, and we suggest some National Park getaways that you could do on a long weekend.
0: All this plus, A chipmunk story (laughs) on today's mailbag.
1: Welcome to our mailbag segment. We have a great lineup of questions today, so we're going to dive right in.
0: Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we do, (laughs) I have a question.
1: What? For the mailbag?
0: No, no, for you. Okay. Uh, Since you're the one who organizes all the questions, I was just wondering, uh, how do you choose which questions we're going to answer? and. Like what order they go in?
1: Well, first off, I organize them in the order that we receive them. So that's how we answer them by by date that they come in. And no, we don't answer all of them <laughs> because some of them we have no clue about.
0: Oh, we can still answer those. You send those to me.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. No, I,
0: I can answer. I can answer. I'm doing okay. my own mailbag se- uh-huh. segment, all the stuff, because I will
1: make answers up. Okay, so there's one that I remember that I had to, to email back and tell her that we weren't going to be able to answer. It was from a listener named Shelly. And she wrote to us and said that she's going on a trip this summer to the Boundary Waters for a week-long canoe trip. And she was wondering if we had any tips or hints for her. Can you imagine us in a canoe uh, for in, a in week? Ca- in
0: canoeing w- for a week in the wilderness? <laughs> See, I, I have answers for this. <laughs> Going up to the Boundary Waters? If we went up there in a canoe, Uh well, first of all, there would only be one of us left in the canoe after about 48 hours.
1: Wait, which one? I I don't know. (laughs) It would
0: be a fair fight. I could tell you that. But one of us would be up in Canada eating beaver tails and celebrating Boxing Day, eh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> I, actually I'm putting my money on you. <laughs>
0: I could be up there, eh?
1: Yeah. If I were up there, I'd be eating poutine, not uh, not beaver jail. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, it's the French I, fries with the gravy and the I cheese. I <laughs> know, but
0: um uh, I'm not even gonna say what it looks like.
1: All right. We got way off track. Yes, we Here did. we were gonna dive right in. Okay. Our first question today comes from Courtney in Oregon, and her question is Would you recommend visiting all four Colorado National Parks in one trip? Or is Rocky Mountain National Park worth a solo visit? I haven't researched it much, but I feel like it's a large park with lots to see, comparable to Glacier, Yellowstone, or Yosemite.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, the first piece of advice, it kind of depends on how much time you want to spend at the Donut House (laughs) in Estes Park. And so I have some tips there. I mean, you do want to get there early. I know they've moved it to a gas station, but that's fine. And just one word of caution. They do run out of apple fritters kind of early. So you want to get there early. But but they do have some in the back, I think. So that's a pro tip. If mm-hmm. there are no apple fritters out, ask for the ones in the back.
1: And how early is early, Matt?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I wake up at 4.15. So, <laughs> so if you go over then, you could probably watch them make the apple fritters. Uh, so there you go. Yeah. Okay, so, I hope uh, Hopefully that answers your question <laughs> about Rocky Mountain
1: National Park. Okay. So, Courtney, that was Matt's answer. My answer would be this. It doesn't necessarily depend on the donuts. It depends on two other things. One is whether or not you're a hiker. And the other one is whether or not you're going on the trip with kids. Because
0: they'll like just a plain
1: glitz. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't even know if I can continue. Okay. So where was I? I I'm completely lost now. Okay, so let's go back to if if you're a hiker. Okay, you could easily fill up a week at Rocky Mountain National Park doing hikes, right? We also suggest a drive up Trail Ridge Road, which I know you loved, Matt.
0: I love going up that uh, Trail Ridge Road drive because the visitor center up there, It I think it's the highest visitor center in the national park system. It's like what 11,000 almost 12,000 feet?
1: Yeah, it's up there. I know you got a little lightheaded up there mm-hmm. when we were... I like it. I like being lightheaded. <laughs> <laughs> Especially after eating
0: two apple fritters. That's, right.
1: <laughs> That's all right. So, if you want to hike, you know, you could easily spend a week there. And the other thing too that I mentioned, if you take kids with you, then a whole nother world of activities opens up, doesn't it?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you have kids, we we had some good memories with our kids. I remember one summer we were up there. We took the kids fishing. Uh, thankfully, we never caught anything, <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time, the worm didn't even come back. So that's good. Uh, we and we did some horseback riding. Well, we did that one afternoon, and then we just sat around in lawn chairs for about three days because we couldn't walk. <laughs> But yeah, so it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it with, is with fun. It,
1: and the town of Estes Park, that's right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park, has all kinds of things for kids to do. They have this giant slide and they have like bumper boats and bumper cars. So, again, if you're with kids, you could easily fill up a week. Now, if you are not with kids and if you are not hiking then what would you say matt maybe just you could see the whole park in a (laughs) you could see the whole park probably in a day if you're just driving yeah you could Mm -hmm.
0: pretty quick i mean it's a fair amount of driving but yeah it is a beautiful park to drive through
1: it is a gorgeous park and once you go up trail ridge road and you get up to the alpine visitor center you can go down the other side and visit grand lake and that's a beautiful little town Now, if people aren't familiar with the four parks that are in Colorado, besides Rocky Mountain National Park, there's Great Sand Dunes National Park, Black Canyon of the Gunnison and Mesa Verde National Park. So those are the four parks in Colorado and they are spread out.
0: So one way to to think of it also when you're looking at those other parks is how far they are from Rocky Mountain National Park. So from the Great Sand Dunes, it's about four and a half hour drive from Rocky Mountain. Uh, Mesa Verdes is another four-hour drive, and then Black Canyon of the Gunnison is about a three-hour drive. So uh, that kind of gives you a sense of how much driving you would have to hit those other parks.
1: Mm -hmm. So they're very spread out. That would be another thing to consider if you are thinking about doing all the parks on one trip, which is what we did. And the reason for that is because when we went to Rocky Mountain National Park on that trip, we had already been there. Probably a dozen times. Right.
0: So we weren't trying to hit all the, the highlights and, mm-hmm. and make sure we saw the park. We were pretty familiar with that park.
1: That's right. So just one note to uh, to anyone who might be visiting the park this spring or summer, uh, I think most people are aware that last fall, tragically, about 30,000 acres, or 9% of Rocky Mountain National Park, was impacted by the East Troublesome and Cameron Peak fires. So if you look at the Rocky Mountain National Park website, it shows a lot of area closures. So you definitely want to check on conditions before you go, because some places in the park you might have your heart set on seeing those might be closed due to the fire.
0: Yeah. And one tip, and we found this out the hard way, especially in these last few years with all the fires, even when these areas are open. Some of those trails can be full sun mm-hmm. uh, that in, in the past were in the trees. And so wear sun protection, sunscreen, lots of water. They're going to be warmer than than normal. So be careful of, of hiking through burnout.
1: Yeah, that's a good tip. So thanks for your question, Courtney. Uh, we hope that's helpful as you plan your Colorado trip. <laughs>
0: All right, what is our next question, Karen?
1: Okay, this comes from Suzanne, and she wrote, Dear Matt and Karen, I am just a casual day hiker, but even so, some of these hikes are in bear country. I've never thought about carrying bear spray, but since you recommend it, I'm thinking it might be a good idea. My question is, what happens after you spray a bear? What does the bear do, and what should I do next?
0: a hmm, lot of lot of questions there and really
1: good questions we
0: should probably say at the outset we need to issue a disclaimer we are not wildlife biologists <laughs> or wildlife experts or we're not experts in anything really <laughs> however we've done some things wrong so maybe we're uh, expert at how not to do it like we have actually run from a bear in Alaska and uh, we've we've learned some other things since by doing it the wrong way. So <laughs> That's <yeah>. so true. <laughs> but what happens after you spray a bear? So what the experts say is a bear has a highly developed sense of smell, like seven times as sensitive as a dog, and, and dogs have keen smell. And so what, what you're trying to do with bear spray is you're essentially causing their sense of smell to be overwhelmed, both in, in scent and pain by the, the the pepper spray that's in that's in the bear spray. So a lot of pain, their eyes water, and essentially it is disabling the bear for a brief period of time, <laughs> which gives you a little bit of time to get away. Right. That's what mm-hmm. bear spray is supposed to do. So you're supposed to shoot a puff of spray. Uh, it creates a cloud that the bear would pass through and, and that slows them down or stops them. Now you don't run. Even though, you know, the bear is disoriented, you still want to back away slowly and get out of there. Once you're out of sight, once the bear can't see you, you can run as fast as you want.
1: Right. And everything that we've read, and as Matt said, we have never – we've been chased by a bear in Alaska, but we have never discharged our bear spray. So we are only – We are answering your question based on others' experiences, and so you definitely want to leave the area after you discharge your bear spray, because even though the bear is hopefully very disoriented and has hopefully wandered off a little bit, he could come back once he's recovered. So yes, back away till you are out of the bear's sight, and then I personally would run like hell and get as far away as I possibly could.
0: You don't know how much time you're buying. Mm -hmm. It could be a a relatively short period of time, like a few minutes. So that's Mm -hmm. when you want to get out of there. The other thing uh, we should mention is some people have a, a heightened sense of fear of bears to the extent that if they see a bear anywhere, they feel like they have to go shoot it or spray it with bear spray. If a bear is not coming at you, meaning walking towards you and not stopping or the zigzag pattern especially from brown bears is is not good if they're kind of zigzagging and coming at you or they're charging you Mm -hmm. Uh, those are situations where they're being aggressive and you need to pull out the bear spray but if they're off to the side in the brush or eating berries or not paying attention to you you still have to be careful but you don't have to go out of your way to go spray that bear a story that Al, the ranger at um, Chilkoot, told us that she had a visitor in camp who saw a bear and the bear was hundred yards off and had a couple of cubs and was feeding on berries. And the camper, the visitor freaked out and was yelling at the top of his lungs and was telling her, you need to go shoot that bear. And uh, she had to calm the visitor down. You don't have to go out of your way to spray the bear. Only if it's threatening you.
1: That's a very good point. Oh, also, Suzanne, if you're going to be buying bear spray, which we would encourage you to do if you're hiking in bear country, make sure that you get a holster. If it doesn't come with one, you want to have it on your hip easily accessible because if it is in your backpack, it's most likely not going to do you any good. I think 99% 99% of the time when people come upon bears and have to use their bear spray it's because they have surprised the bear and they need to have that bear spray in their hands within seconds so just FYI have it easily accessible
0: because if it's zipped up inside your pack you're not going to get it out you're no. not going you're not going to get your pack off you're not going to unzip your pack and, and and search for it i carry mine in one of the water pockets on the side of my backpack and the reason i do that is i am very experienced at getting stuff out of those
1: pockets. Well, and you have long arms. And, and seriously, and, and so, I mean, yeah, it, you have long arms and you can easily reach it. A right. lot of people, including me, I can't reach back and grab stuff out of my right. pocket. So that makes a huge difference. Right. You,
0: need to, you need to have it somewhere where you can get it. And I think pretty much now most of the brands sell it with a little foam neoprene holder that goes on your belt loop or goes through your belt. And sometimes when we're hiking through bear country and, and through thick brush, I just have it in my hand. But I leave the safety on because I don't want to accidentally shoot it and and then all of a sudden we're like both immersed in this cloud of pepper spray.
1: (laughs) And then we're the ones who are disabled. Yeah, right. (laughs) So good luck, Suzanne, and uh, happy hiking to you. Our next question comes from Allison. And she wrote to us and said, You often describe hiking through water. Do you wear waterproof boots? After passing through water, do you change out of your socks? Or do you carry some type of water shoes for shorter day hikes? All I can think of are wet socks and blisters. I am unsure how to handle this. Good question, Allison. Yeah,
0: we run into this a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of times we're just unprepared because we didn't know that there was water crossings. Uh, You know, it kind of depends a little. Depends on how cold it is. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, depends on a, a few things. I wear ankle high hiking boots that have Gore-Tex. So it, it's essentially like a you're walking in a in a waterproof bucket. If the water does not come up over that tongue of my boot, then it's 100% waterproof. So if, if you're just doing water crossings that are, you know, two to three to four inches, then I can do those all day and never get wet. I just leave my hiking boots on and, and splash through. Then you have to make another decision if you know you're going over ankle deep.
1: Right. I actually looked up on the Gore-Tex website and they reiterated exactly what you said. If the water doesn't come over your ankles or over the top of the boot, you'll be fine. If it does, the the boot's going to get soaked. It does not matter how waterproof right. it is if you are in over the top of the boot.
0: It's a personal preference. My preference is... Just go in with my hiking boots. And
1: and is that for the ankle support or?
0: Well, I just don't feel like it's just not that uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to to be walking in wet all day. I mean, I know other people will stop, take their hiking boots off, take their socks off, maybe put the Crocs on or their water shoes, go through the water crossing, stop, take those shoes Mm -hmm. off, put the hiking boots on. I just think that's a pain. So what I do when we backpack I carry a pair of Crocs in my backpack, and the reason I, I do that is because they don't absorb water. They're, they're lightweight, so they add almost nothing to the pack. And so when I get to camp, I can take my wet hiking boots and socks off, put dry socks on, and then put the Crocs on. And that's kind of what I wear around camp. And so then the next morning, yeah, I got to put those wet boots back on. But I, I don't know. The, the kind of boots I wear, they, it doesn't seem to be uncomfortable when they're wet,
1: it still surprises me to hear you talk about Crocs like that. I remember a time not too long ago when you made fun of them and you swore you wouldn't be caught dead in them. Oh no, I still
0: won't be caught dead in them, <laughs> <laughs> but I like them. They're good shoes. They're comfortable, lightweight. Uh, they don't absorb water. They're actually the perfect camp shoes So
1: I know, it, but what changed your mind?
0: Uh, one, as our friend Jeremy pointed out to me one day, I've given up. <laughs> I've, gi- I've given up on uh, caring what other people think. <laughs> so so there's that. <laughs> I don't know. They're comfortable.
1: No, I, I don't disagree. I just remember how scornful you were of Crocs and, and possibly people who wore Crocs. And now all of a sudden, you're just strutting around the campsite in your Crocs and at home. You wear them all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I am a Crocs fan. I have to say that.
1: Yeah, it, it's a personal preference. I have the best water shoes. They're the brand is Keen, K E E N, and they are water shoes that have the webbing that goes over the top of the foot and the toes, so you're not stubbing your toes when you're hiking in water. They're very sturdy. You know, they they have an elastic piece that goes around the heel. Now, these Keen water shoes, they have different models of them. They come in men's and women's. Uh, sizes they run around a hundred dollars which you know is is pricey for water shoes but they are absolutely worth it because i also wear those hiking in utah on a hot day if i don't want to wear socks so i find them very comfortable so what you could do allison if you don't want to hike in wet hiking boots and socks get a nice pair of water sandals or you could even use flip-flops but the most important thing is you need a dry bag because once you take them off again They're either going to be soaking wet or they're probably going to be muddy and slimy if you're going through a slot canyon through these stagnant pools. So you need a dry bag to put them in so that the rest of the stuff in your backpack doesn't get all disgusting.
0: (laughs) Uh, You could use flip-flops. However, what we have found is it's really nice to have toe protection when, not if, when you hit rocks in the water. Uh, you're not hitting those rocks with your toes.
1: I have seen videos of people actually take their shoes off and go into some of those slot canyon pools barefoot, which I would never you do. Do, a do a million that, years. right? Uh,
0: pe- people do that, but um, we've seen people miles from the trailhead in the desert, dry desert trails, barefoot. Yeah, right. So some people will do just about anything barefooted. So you, yeah. you, you could do that. I guess the bottom line is I find it to be a bigger pain to stop every time we get to water crossing and change shoes and then change back.
1: And that's a a good point. It depends also on how many water crossings you have. If you know there's just one, then maybe it's worth changing your shoes. If there's going to be a half a dozen or so, maybe you don't want to. Also, you know, we did a whole podcast episode on the Zion Narrows hike, which w- was one of our all-time favorite hikes, where you're hiking through the water for miles and miles through that slot canyon. The rangers suggested that we just go in in our hiking boots and socks because you're hiking on rocks that, that I think, Matt, you described as slippery bowling balls.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what they were like. And so having protection all around our feet was good in that situation. Yeah. So so it's a bit of a personal preference. I don't think you will ruin a set of hiking boots uh, if they get wet.
1: No, I don't think so either. But you are likely to get blisters. Um, we didn't, but I know a lot of people do when they have wet socks and wet boots. So I guess in a nutshell, what you need to think about is, If the water is going to be over your ankles, your feet, your boots, your socks, everything will be wet. And if you don't want that, then definitely bring a pair of water shoes, bring a dry bag and switch out of them as you do these water crossings.
0: I used to get those big three to four inch wide uh, blister patches. And just even if I don't have a blister at the start of the hike, I put one on, on, on the back of each of my heels. And so then I'm good for the rest of the day.
1: That's right. If we do an episode on the 10 essentials for hiking, we should definitely include those blister patches because I know you swear by them. Those have saved your feet many, many times.
0: So, yeah. So there you go. Personal preference.
1: Okay. so that is what we know about shoes and having wet shoes. (laughs) Thank you, Allison. Next up, we are going to answer a question from Kai. And she wrote, hi, Matt and Karen, my boyfriend and I are taking a road trip this summer through the southern part of the lower 48, all the way from Georgia to California. So my question for you guys is, where is the best place you've stargazed? In the American Southwest slash Texas slash California. I'm really looking forward to seeing the stars this summer. Boy, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? That sounds like an exciting trip. Oh, my gosh. Georgia to California. Can we come with you, Kai? (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. And you'll be in a lot of areas that are great to stargaze. The concern I always have about stargazing is, obviously, you're out at night completely dark you can't see anything because that's mm-hmm. the you know it's, it should be a moonless night and you're in a dark sky area and i have no idea what's down by my feet
1: oh <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you know we look at the stars for like 30 seconds mm-hmm. and then i'm worried that uh you know, a snake is going to crawl up my pants or, um, you know, the, the hair on the back of my legs is standing up because there's a scorpion on it or something like that. So I I don't know. That's <laughs> You don't seem to be bothered by that.
1: No, I am so enthralled with the stars that doesn't even enter my mind. You know, I think the first time the most I want to say it's the most epic and maybe it is because it was the first time we really – that I really saw the Milky Way, it was when we were doing our two-year National Parks trip tour. And it was in Great Basin National Park, which if you're not familiar with that, that's in Nevada. And so we stayed in the tiny town of Baker, Nevada, right outside the park. And we spent the day in the park. And then we went back to our little motel and we had a nice dinner. And then you know, by 7.30, we were looking at each other. You know, what should we do? So we drove back into the park and we got up on the hood of our car and laid back against the windshield. And we watched the stars come out. And gosh, I could just cry thinking about it because
0: this – is, This is when Karen cries.
1: <laughs> it was – I don't know. I think it was the the first time I've ever really, really seen the Milky Way come out. And it was the most amazing, incredible thing I have ever seen. And we were the only people out there. Nobody was in the park in the dark. And uh, didn't you think that was amazing?
0: It was amazing. The reason we were on the hood is because I was worried about things. <laughs> I know. Crawling up my pant leg. <laughs> I true. think we even saw a jackrabbit, like the, a jackrabbit the size of a bison come uh-huh. r- running past the truck. But it is amazing. Up there by Great Basin, it's one of the darkest places in in the mm-hmm. lower 48. That was just one of many places on our uh, trip to all the national parks that you tried to steal a cat. You Let, do let's this.
1: just be clear on that. I wasn't going to steal it. I think it was a stray and it was looking for a home. And It had it a, sent- a
0: collar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it had a. I think it had a little name tag on it.
1: All right. Well, it sat on my lap all the way through dinner, and then the next morning it was waiting outside our motel room. So I think it wanted to go home with do us. Do you
0: realize how many cats we would have right now if, if if I didn't stop you? You wanted to do that in American Samoa.
1: <laughs> that would have been harder to get that cat home.
0: <laughs> you were going to take that cat. Home from American oh, I know. Samoa. It was so
1: sweet. Uh-huh. I know. Yeah.
0: And I could just see you bring these cats back to our home. They're they're talking to each other like like <laughs> a, like what park did she find you at? <laughs> we could we could do that. We could maybe that's the next thing to that could, check off the list to find a cat in every national park.
1: And that could be a new podcast series. Yeah. The cats of the national parks. I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we digress. It's Mm. the Great Basin National Park. It's a fantastic dark sky area.
1: Yes, it is. Now, I don't know if you're going to be going by Great Basin, so we'll mention a few others. And you also didn't mention, Kai, if you are going to be camping. And of course, if you're camping – then you're outside at night and it's much easier but when we did the grand canyon river trips those two trips and we slept down on sandy beaches next to the river of course we were outside all the time and we saw some amazing stars and we saw the milky way and that was an incredible place and it's
0: amazing how many things you see moving in the sky Mm -hmm. not just satellites you know, planes, shooting stars, it's It's a pretty spectacular show. I, I would encourage trying to find dark sky places. There's also, I, I think, uh, Joshua Tree's a good place to see dark sky. I know a ranger told us once that they actually take kids from the inner city of L.A. to Joshua Tree. And... A lot of times, it's the first time these kids have ever seen the Milky Way. So that's that's pretty cool.
1: It is very cool. So, um, Kai, what we would suggest is once you have your itinerary figured out as far as what cities and states you're going to be going through, you should look up. There is a website, and the website is www.darksky.org. And this has a list of all of the places that are designated international dark sky parks. And those that's everything from national parks to national monuments to state parks and it's all around the world so you can look up what are designated dark sky parks in the places you're going to be
0: so, Karen, do you have a list of those places <laughs> that you can read?
1: Well, just to give you an example, I looked at it and I pulled some out that were in the Southwest. I'll read this list really quickly. There's, and this is an alphabetical order, Antelope Island State Park, Anza Borrego Desert State Park, Arches National Park, Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park, Bryce Canyon and Canyonlands and Capitol Reef National Parks, Cedar Breaks National Monument, Dead Horse Point State Park, Dinosaur. Soar National Monument, Goblin Valley State Park, Grand Canyon and Great Basin National Parks, Great Sand Dunes National Park, Hovenweep National Monument, Joshua Tree National Park, Natural Bridges National Monument, Petrified Forest National Park, and Tonto National Monument. And you might realize that most of those are in Utah. So Utah is a fantastic place to stargaze.
0: Yeah, that's a great list and and really great question, Kai. Hope you have an epic trip.
1: Okay, next up from Megan in Wisconsin. Kevin and I have very demanding jobs, so our big battle is always finding the time to go places. What are some of your top recommendations for a long extended weekend trip? That is a good question because everybody is a little bit squeezed for time right
0: well first of all yeah i think our main advice megan is to do what we did quit your job
1: (laughs) then you'll have all the time in the world Uh, yeah quit your jobs and you will also have no money but you'll have plenty of time that's okay
0: that's okay you have plenty of time to see all the national parks Uh, you know it is it's a common question Unfortunately, for some people, it's the travel to and from that takes so long.
1: Exactly. Because there are a lot of parks, if you had three days, you could totally see the entire park. But it's the getting there that's going to use up your available time if you have a long weekend.
0: I don't know where in Wisconsin you are, Megan, but like from Milwaukee... It's like maybe a 11-hour drive to Badlands. It's uh, eight and a half up to Voyager's National Park. You go maybe eight hours up to Grand Portage to get over to Isle Royale. So th- those are kind of long drives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to do in a an extended weekend. Certainly you can't do that in a regular weekend. So if you're, if you're wanting to get to some of the bigger national parks, you're probably flying somewhere mm-hmm. to a major city and then – Running a car.
1: Right. So we put together a few ideas. And again, you're not going to want to have to change planes. So we were looking at some of the bigger airports where you're most likely to get a direct flight to to make it quicker. And then what parks are in that area. And, you know. One of our top picks is always Las Vegas, right, Matt?
0: Yes, yes. Just go to Las Vegas. Don't <laughs> don't do the parks. Go go straight to um, a casino and um, no. get drink tickets. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you usually do is you pick up the what you pick the keynote tickets up off the floor and act like you're betting to get oh, so i'll get a free so, drink so you get free mm-hmm. drinks so do that megan and mm-hmm. then um,
1: yeah and you'll have a great weekend there's some wonderful pools in bay yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so no. there
0: what's our next question
1: yeah okay but seriously one of the reasons we say Vegas is because we know from Seattle, there's like a flight every single minute and they're cheap. So if you go to Vegas, you have two different options. Now, we're not suggesting you do this on the same visit, but one is go to Death Valley. And you'd want to do that in the winter because it's, it's a nice, warm park. If you fly to Vegas, it's about a two-hour drive to Death Valley. So you would have plenty of time for a long weekend.
0: Oh, yeah. You could also go the other direction, go east. Uh, Zion's not far. It's maybe two, two and a half hour drive, uh, depending on traffic. So, yeah, you can hit Zion in th- that area, maybe Take a little side trip up to Bryce Canyon uh, National Park, not too far from Zion.
1: And if you actually just want to stay in Vegas, we did a a podcast episode called Outdoorsy in Vegas, where we outlined some other amazing parks that are within day day trips from Vegas. So you could check that out as well if you haven't already listened to that. So that's our little spiel about Vegas. But there's some other places you could check out.
0: Another idea is you could fly to Denver and from Denver what,
1: Rocky Mountain National Park's about an hour and a half? Yeah, it's very close. And one of my favorites would be if you fly to Phoenix and don't stay in Phoenix. Not not there's anything wrong with that, but my suggestion would be drive up to Sedona, which is two hours north of the airport. Fantastic town, red rocks everywhere, incredible hiking, many hotels that are spa-like, <laughs> if that's your thing. But then while you're staying there for a long weekend, you could take a day trip up to the Grand Canyon, which is the South Rim from there is another two-hour drive. So that, in fact, I want to do that. Why aren't we doing yeah, that right we, now? <laughs> we have done that many times. I we know, should do it again. I would like to be there tomorrow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also, de- from Phoenix, depending on, on what you like to do, you could also go south to Tucson and oh, go, sure. go to Swahara. Saguaro, Saguaro Cigaro National <laughs> Park. <laughs> There's also some other mm. interesting stuff in the Tucson
1: area. That's right, and and that's another great winter getaway from Wisconsin because the weather in Arizona uh, is going to be a lot, lot warmer. So, a few other suggestions that we wrote down. Um, you know, I was surprised when I flew. I had a connection in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was surprised at how big and beautiful that airport is. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a hub. Yes. So it's, it's a big
1: airport. Yeah. So assuming you could get there on a direct flight, if you went to Charlotte and you drove three hours, you could be in beautiful Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And that would be a fun weekend. And
0: that is a beautiful park. Yeah, that that's definitely worth seeing.
1: Also on the east coast, if you flew into Washington DC, just a two hour drive away is Shenandoah National Park, which is a really pretty park to go to in the fall. And you could rent a cabin and make a fire. Right. There's and there's
0: a long uh there's a long drive there. The Blue Ridge Parkway mm-hmm. is, is up there by Shenandoah.
1: Yeah, that would be a great fall getaway, don't you think? Yeah. And then our last suggestion, this might come as a surprise, but We actually really enjoyed our weekend in St. Louis. So you could fly or drive. I don't know how far it is from Wisconsin. Go to Gateway Arch National Park. Do the, what the, we just talked about the tram tour in the last mailbag. Go to the top of the arch. And then surrounding this the park is a really historic downtown. We wandered around, found some great restaurants, found some big margaritas. Yeah,
0: it's close to where the Cardinals play, so you take it in a Cardinals game. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also do something that I have not done, which is do a brewery tour at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. And you've done this. I have I, not done that. Why, yes. wh- why have I not done the brewery tour?
1: Because you didn't go with me to my family wedding oh, that yeah, I went to in right. Singapore. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So never I have, mind. <laughs> I have to say the Budweiser tour was really fun, and you could spend a whole day there because you do the tour. Then there's a beer garden where you can get sample all their beers and have lunch.
0: Can you just go in the back door and act like you finished the tour and, and get the get the samples?
1: No, I think you have to. Well, actually, the tour was free if I if I remember correctly. But um, there's a big uh, Anheuser Busch store, so you can buy anything you could ever want with the Budweiser logo on it. <laughs> but remember what we did do, Matt, the last time when we went to see the new renovated Gateway Arch, we did we went to some other breweries in St. Louis.
0: Obviously, it's a it's a great beer town. Mm-hmm. There were some uh, great restaurants down uh, by the arch. There's also the historic courthouse, which is also a National National Park Service unit. It's just right across the street from from the arch. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to do right down in that area. You could you could go stay at a hotel right down in that area and and never leave and probably spend all weekend just doing stuff.
1: That's right. We stayed in a Hampton Inn down there within walking distance of the arch and where the Cardinals play. What's the name of that stadium? Do you know? No. Nope. Is it Anheuser Busch Stadium? I don't know. Okay, sorry, St. Louis people. <laughs> but anyway, that would be a really fun city getaway and one more just one more note. When we went, it was the end of May and the weather was beautiful. And the grounds around the um around the Gateway Arch National Park are beautiful to walk in as well. So we had a great weekend in St. Louis.
0: So there you go, Megan. And we're just kidding about quitting your job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this question is from Brad, and Brad asked
0: <laughs> What is br- asks. Karen, Brad? Brad asked. <laughs>
1: Brad asked, that sounds, that's his name, Brad Ass. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. Karen, <laughs> that sounded Karen, very that's, weird. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to read this. This was part of a longer email, but I just cut and pasted. So uh, bear with me here. And then we hit a deer down in Glen Canyon. Poor doe. We were fine. Just fender and bumper damage. I still feel bad, though. That's another mailbag question I have for you. Have you ever hit a deer or any other animal in your park travels? Oh, boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I hesitate to even answer this question. <laughs>
1: this is a well, little bit of a sore subject, l- Let me put it this way. We've, we've never
0: hit anything over a pound and a half.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. We've
0: never hit anything that would that we could eat for dinner, let's say. <laughs> we have We have hit – I know that I hit one chipmunk.
1: So, Brad, what we are referring to is this. When we visited Olympic National Park early on in the park's journey, we were driving up Hurricane Hill Road, and Matt ran over a chipmunk on accident. He swerved. He tried to avoid it. You know how those little things start out. And I got to say, we were both upset about it. We wrote about it in the book, and if you've read Dear Bob and Sue or any of our Dear Bob and Sue books – They're in email format, and we take turns writing emails. So that particular email was my email, and it started off saying something like our trip to our trip to Olympic didn't start off with a bang, but it started out with a thud Matt ran over a chipmunk and he felt really bad about it. So that's what I wrote. And that's what we published. And then the hate came in. We got so
0: many reviews about how we were killing animals Uh in the park and how we enjoyed it and all of this. So so that was one of our first lessons of, of putting writing and putting content out out in the world and and getting feedback that's totally out of context and so we just we tried to ignore the negative feedback for a while and finally we just we just took it out
1: yeah we because...
0: republished the book and took that re- reference out because people just all, all they focused on was we hit a chipmunk.
1: Oh, my gosh. There was a gentleman, and I, I'm not even going to call him a gentleman because he was so incredibly rude. He left us this this review that was like seven paragraphs long. He absolutely hated us with a passion, and he went on to tell the world how Matt – ran over this animal on purpose basically you know was out to get him and and how what a horrible person matt was and then he twisted every single thing we wrote in the book and i don't know if people read that and jumped on the bandwagon but we did get some other reviews about how heartless and cruel we were for running over the chipmunk which was a total accident as people know and and since
0: then people have found other reasons to hate us (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh so that so yeah no uh-huh. we uh, you actually you were upset because you were saying don't swerve because you thought and rightfully so if, if you're swerving to miss something you could crash and kill yourself right you have to, like, in, in a split second, weigh the risk of swerving and, and harming yourself versus hit, hitting the animal. And and I I had a, a friend once explain this to me. He went everywhere on, on his motorcycle. So he went to national parks and long tours on motorcycles. He said, yeah, when you go through motorcycle training, they tell you if something runs out in front of your motorcycle, you have to decide... If it's not large enough to feed a family of five, then you just run right over it. And the the point being is like you could do more damage by trying to, to miss a chipmunk that's, well of that's course running you could out hit, in front of you.
1: You could hit another car right. and, and hurt. You could go people. off a cliff, right? You could go off a cliff. You could Yeah, there are a million scenarios of why you wouldn't swerve wildly to avoid a chipmunk. So anyway, that was our experience with that. Fortunately, when you self-publish your own books, you have the ability to go back into the file and take out or add. Um, you can edit your file and republish. And so, I don't know if any of you out there have an early copy of our book. It's in there under the Olympic National Park section about Matt running over the chipmunk on accident. But uh, later versions don't have it. Well, yeah, you know,
0: we've taken we've taken a few other things out. Like we well, one time, I've said something about. People, (laughs) the
1: old lady perfume. Well, I made. Oh, that was the other thing. I did,
0: and and people misunderstood because we were at a hotel, and we so we get into our room, and it smelled of perfume, which is you know if if you don't like the smell of a particular perfume but that's what you're living in for the next 2 days that's it's not pleasant right and so i made the comment that i don't like old lady perfume
1: <laughs> and the floodgates opened
0: <laughs> people misunderstood because uh-huh. boy we got so many comments that we now we hate old people and we're intolerant uh both of which are true but <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding.
1: I know. That you have to be careful what you say, Matt, because you people take you literally. I, I know. I know. Yes. Yeah, so we also took out the old lady perfume and you cha- we changed it to bad perfume. Bad perfume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um in answer to your question Brad, we have not hit anything larger than a chipmunk although we have had some close calls. You know, we have had a lot of deer run out and luckily we we were able to miss them or they missed us. In Utah we've been on a lot of roads where there are cows in the mm-hmm. middle of the road boy i would hate to hit one of those
0: we came close to a javelina in arizona one oh,
1: time that's right mm-hmm. uh yeah
0: could have had bacon for dinner that night but uh,
1: i don't think people eat javelina. <laughs> oh, people are gonna, not pork.
0: Hate, it's not pork it's never not mind pork. now the javelina <laughs> lobby will, will send us emails saying that uh, uh-huh. we're calling the javelina pigs mm-hmm. which they're not
1: Yeah. Anyway, Anyway, thanks for the question, Brad. Sorry that you hit the deer, but I I know that happens. We are sympathetic about that. And thanks for all of the wonderful questions. Now, if you have a a question for us or maybe a topic for a future episode, you can send it to us at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. Or you can also message us on social media, on Instagram. We are at Smith. Why is your name always first?
0: (laughs) Because I'm the one Wait. who sets up the accounts.
1: Wait a second. It should be Karen and Matt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on Facebook, we are at Dear Bob and S. Or
0: we could use the name that you used to call me when we did all of our national park trips. Remember, you would anytime we would get a restaurant reservation, you'd always use your pet name for me, Dick Bickerson. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said we're the Bickerson's. <laughs>
1: And so I was
0: Dick Bickerson. <laughs> I could I could have set up our accounts Yes, um, yeah, send your questions to Dick Bickerson at gmail.com. I, I actually I, love d- that. I yeah. don't know. Mm-hmm. There might be a Dick Bickerson out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dick, if you're listening. <laughs> and now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the credits. Self-promotion and begging for reviews. Take it away, Karen. <laughs>
1: I prefer to think of it as asking for reviews rather than begging. You know how important they are, Matt. Nobody even buys a pizza these days without reading the reviews first. So if you've enjoyed our podcast and haven't had the chance to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts yet, you would really help us out by doing so. Please and thank you.
0: Have you read our books? They're all available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can find more information about our books and about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com.
1: Our show is produced by our amazing team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects and our theme music is by Will West. You should keep your phone handy, Matt, because I'm pretty sure the marketing department at Crocs is gonna be calling you any minute now.
0: Oh yeah, they should. <laughs> I could I could be their next spokesmodel. <laughs> <laughs>